0: I'm going to try and keep my feet planted today. My feedback from last time the article it's like going to Wimbledon. <laughs> so I'm going to do my best. So i put my notes there so I have to sort of come back here occasionally and read from them. Okay, so this morning I'm going to talk on sightedness. Now if you're like me, you probably will have incredibly rich and uh, highly stimulated lives and you have every have moment to yourself and life is just fantastically busy. So much so, you sort of tend to forget about the people that are around you. You bump into people after a while and think, oh, I haven't spoken to you for ages. And it's almost like uh, you forget those people that are around you and the closest to you. You then end up spending some time with them thinking, I really enjoyed this. Why don't we do it more often? And then the same thing happens again. And time lapses and you think, I haven't hooked up with that person again. And round you go in a a merry-go-round. One of the funny things T says to me sometimes when we're going out is, what did I wear last time when I met with these people? And I'm like, I haven't got a clue. <laughs> I haven't got a clue. I sort of don't notice those sort of things. happens occasionally. So who am I? For those that don't know me, this is a replica. I'm not a replica of my business card, but it's meant to represent a business card. And a lot of business people in the business world use that as their identity. This is my card. This is my identity card. There you go. Tells you all about me on that particular card. But that's just a snapshot, isn't it? That's just a little tiny window into who I am as an individual. So to some people, I'm a dad. For another person, I'm a husband. For my parents, I'm their son. To my brothers and sisters, I'm a brother. To my friends, I'm a friend. And to my, my staff, I'm the boss. So I have all these different identities that people see in me. Life's great, isn't it? How often do you say that to yourselves out loud? Life is absolutely fantastic. I wouldn't change a single part of it because my life is so, so good. Well, I tend to get this occasionally after I've had an encounter with God. And for those few moments... Well, if it's a really good one, a few hours. If it's exceptional, a few days. I'm on cloud nine. And I think life cannot get any better than this. This is a fantastic feeling. I'm close to God. I'm hearing his word. I'm involved in doing stuff. It's just fun. And so some time ago, we started a series on the spirit of adventure. And I remember at the start of that, I was in quite a good place. And I thought, I'm going to get from A to B, it's going to be like this, fantastic, I'm going to get to the end before everybody else. The reality of it is, though, it ended up being a little bit like this. When you're wandering around, thinking, how on earth is this thing taking so long to get to? Why can't I just go straight to the finish line? Why does it have to be so confusing? I sort of felt like I was stumbling around a little bit. Thinking, can't I just get to the end point? Can't I just get to the finish point? It will be so much easier. Why do there have to be difficulties? Why do there have to be diversions? Why do there have to be things that get in the way? And very soon you go from feeling like on cloud nine and life is great to like this. Sinking and hold on to the ring. Jesus, please help me. Life just feels a little bit terrible right now. And I found myself going round and round in circles, from feeling great and pressed into God, to stumbling around in the dark for a little while, and then back into the hole. Anybody experience the same thing? Cool. a fair few hands. Don't even think to yourself, why does it always end up being like this? And so one day I said to God, right, time out. I'm done. I'm done with going around that silly old loop because it's just emotionally draining and it's spiritually draining. Definition of insanity is often said that it's doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. So I thought to myself, well, how can this cycle stop? What am I doing wrong? Am I hearing God wrong? am I doing something wrong? We're not praying enough? We're not seeing enough people? Why does it have to be like this? And should it be like this? And so I felt myself wandering around. And this was at a time when I was working over in Stratford and I had that daily commute. And I had an interesting journey from Stratford Station to my offices. And as it was the rush hour, that's how I felt most mornings. Just walking through the crowds. There was loads and loads and loads of people. And then one day, all of a sudden, it wasn't quite a burning bush experience, but I'm going to use that as just an illustration, where I quite simply said to God, it was after John had spoken about that time, that moment when he asked God to show how he saw people. And he goes, don't do it unless you want to experience it. And me being me, thought, I want to experience it. And so I did it. And my goodness. Everything changed. Something happened in my internal that day. And John said he couldn't talk about it for a long time. I know what he means. Because as soon as you do, something starts to just rise up in you again. And you just think, whoa. And so my commute to Stratford took on a whole different meaning. It wasn't just about getting to work. It was getting to work with my Father in heaven and asking him what he had planned for that particular day. I realized at that point how I looked at things is very different. One of the things that frustrates T about me is when she will talk about an issue and as a man, what do you want to do? Give the solution. And she will sort of saying, I don't really want the solution. I just want you to, to listen. One of my favorite phrases to her is, look, think about the worst thing that could possibly happen. Then work your way backwards from that. And anything better than that is not the worst, so therefore it's great. That doesn't really work either. <laughs> Here's a few tips for you gentlemen. Don't use that one, it doesn't wash. So I'm getting to the stage now where a lot of my friends are acquiring glasses. It's a big no-no. People don't want to wear them for some reason, and I'm like, I've got 20/20 vision, which is remarkable. But I believe that I'll never wear glasses. That's what I believe, and I believe God's put something in there because that's my declaration. And every time I go to the optician, she she looks at me like I've seen your card. And she'll say, start at the top line. I said, forget that. I'll start at the bottom if you want, and I'll read the bottom line of the thing off. Not from memory, but because I can just see. And I find it quite strange when even T, if I just want to say it, starts to push the stuff away. And, Ugh. and I'm thinking, why can I see and other people can't see so well? Why do certain eyes not work as, as well as mine? I realize I've become fairly desensitized from the world around me. (laughs) Yeah, stuff starts to wash over. We start to become numb to it. The series that Jamie's doing at the moment about looking at various topics and stuff, I find that useful because it snaps me out of that desensitized mode, default position in myself to say that's just how the world is. That's just how the world is. That's how the world has changed. Just put up with it to a position of, uh ah, that can't be right, because that's not what God intended. What causes me to be on fire for him one minute and then feeling distant the next? That can't be right either. And so I knew in myself I wanted to have some sort of adjustment. And it started that day with saying to God, show me the world as you see it. I said, what is mine to do? I believe I have a purpose. I believe that I'm amongst this community for a purpose and a reason. So what is mine to do? And then John started this wonderful, easy series on the softening of heart. It's painful. If I was to summarise this series, for me personally, it's been painful. Why has it been painful? Because I do this a lot. And it gets really frustrating. Even earlier, during worship, I read a word or I read a phrase or I think about one of my friends that's in need and something happens on the internal. Something, that thing, that compassion wells up inside me. And the only exit point I've worked out is my eyeballs. It's not a very manly thing to do, is it, Phil? Or Nathan? Or Hans? Or John? But I've seen these guys, Grant especially, <laughs> well up and cry. And that goes against society, doesn't it? When you're a kid and you fall over, it's like, man up! Wipe your eyes. I never said that to Elliot when he falls over, do I, Elliot? What? Get up! Man up! Wipe your eyes dry. Don't cry. And yet, God's given us the ability to cry. God's given us the ability to empathize with others, to come alongside, to share pain, and to share joy, but to share pain. And it causes a physical reaction. So I thought to myself, well, what was it like for Jesus? Maybe I'll have random thoughts, but I think to myself, what would it be like for Jesus if he was walking on my commute from the station at Stratford to my office? Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it's something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does these things, the Son does in like manner. So I was thinking, well, therefore, Jesus must be doing stuff that he sees the Father doing. So how does he see that? Is it a big booming voice from heaven? Son, get out of bed. You need to speak to this person and this person and this person today. No, I just think he had a compassionate heart. Because he was fully man as well. He got to experience the same emotions as we did. And so I wanted to start to follow the Father's footsteps. I wanted sightedness to be able to see where He was at work. Whether it be an area, or an individual, or a situation, I started to quite simply ask God, what are you saying here? What are you showing me here? In each of these situations, I was taking it back to him. So much so, it became a habit. It wasn't the occasional thing. Like I talked about, be- talked about before, we're seeing a friend occasionally. It became more frequent. It became walking alongside. It became my first thought rather than my 20th thought. I started to say to him, What, what is this about? Help me pray differently helped me see differently, helped me act differently. It helped me do all sorts of things in a very strange way to begin with, and it felt a little bit out of my comfort zone to start with. One of those things, actually, believe it or not, was standing up here on a Sunday morning and talking. I talked about labels the last time, didn't I? My label to myself was, I'm a worship leader and nothing more. I can sing, I can hold a tune. I've been doing it for many, many years. That was my comfort zone. That's what I could do well. I could do it with my eyes closed. And that was my label. And I thought, that's my limitation as well. And as soon as I took it off, God says, will you go and talk in front of 200 people in a conference for your B&I business thing? I've trained you in the ability to communicate with people. And yet you think you're just a worship leader. And so I said to John, I want to be able to communicate in this setting amongst my friends. Because I think that's what God's given me to do. I try and communicate it in in something that's applicable to me. And I actually think it's who I'm meant to be. And so it's become from being a terrifying prospect. And I still get proper nervous. I said to you this morning, my stomach felt like a washing machine. But at the same time, I'm thinking, if I'm doing the stuff that he's got for me to do, then he's going to empower and enable me to do that. And the bits that are rubbish, you can forget about. And the bits from him will penetrate. And that's what this whole thing is about. So I wanted to start to look at things from a different perspective. Matthew 9. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And that's suddenly what I started to see at Stratford. Just people focused on getting themselves to work or wherever they were going to. Not interacting with each other, just focused on going. It's like John when he gets to the airport. If you ever travel with John with the airport, boom, you follow the bag. (laughs) He is just point and go. And I'm like... You sort of have to do a a semi-quick walk to keep up with him. Focused and gone. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The new thing John's been talking about or mentioning to us, have you picked it up? It's harvest time. Have you seen it yet? Have you heard it? Have you heard that the crop is actually ready? And the next thing we're embarking on is going to be talking about harvest if you haven't heard it and you haven't seen it, then it's one of the things that I think God wants to do for you this morning. So I went and picked out one day, one day in the life of Jesus. Jesus had fairly boring days, I would imagine, occasionally. But look at this one day. He healed a paralytic that was brought to him. He also then taught about the forgiveness of sins. He dined out the tax collector. And defended his position to the authorities that moaned about it. He taught John the Baptist's disciples about who he was and what the kingdom was about. He healed a woman of a hemorrhage while he was on his way to raising the dead. A dead person. What a day! I was thinking in my entire life as a Christian, if I could just tick off that lot in my entire life, I would be so enthusiastic. Thinking I've made a difference for the world. That's one day. When I showed T the list, she sort of said to me, yes, but that was Jesus. And I think that can be our response sometimes. But he was fully God, but also fully man. Fully God, but fully man. And therefore, who fancies a day like this? Anybody? One or two of us when he got about his father's business and his father's business was what making a difference proclaiming the kingdom meeting people in their need having compassion upon them that's a proper day so how did jesus sharpen his vision as a way of life, he stopped and paid attention to the people that he encountered. Sometimes I think we could get ourselves hooked up or wrapped up or confused about that whole thing of him doing the stuff that the Father gave him to do. When we start to understand the Father's heart, there was a whole plethora of stuff that he could could have got involved in. Because our father's heart is what? It's loving and giving. And has compassion. And he knew what his father's heart was about. And just made it a reality to the people that he encountered. One thing of spending time with the father, I think that's really important. And it really struggled in my thought process. I was thinking, hold on a second. Jesus is fully God, but fully man. And yet he still wants to go and spend time with the father. Why did he need to do Why did he need to do that? He's fully God. He's fully God. I, I, I was grappling. I thinking, hold on a second, this is Jesus Christ. It has the, a fantastically busy day, and yet he still chooses to go and spend time with his father. Why? Because he wanted to interact with him. He, want that, he wanted that closeness of relationship. He wanted to chat about his day. He wanted to say, Dad, I saw you at work today. I saw you at work today. I saw you heal that woman that had been suffering for 20 years. In a moment. A lot of times when you look at the scriptures and stuff, the first thing Jesus tells his disciples to do Is to what? Go and pray. There's something powerful in that. And sometimes I think we can get ourselves hooked up on that thing. Well, that's really religious. And we're not religious. And we can make a religion out of not being religious. We have to be really careful. We can make a religion out of not being religious. So it's easy just to off it and think well if I do that if I have a quiet time if I spend time with my father in heaven then that that will be religious and we don't do religious so therefore I'm not going to do it and the only time you interact with him then genuinely is when you need something and when stuff is getting really tough yes god is interested in us talking that stuff through with him but he's also interested in you in the mundane tasks in the everyday. How better to have interactions with him all the time as opposed just to ringing the bell when it's a crisis. That's how you build a relationship. So first Jesus called his disciples to prayer and after they prayed, what did he do with them? He sent them out. They went and got busy. They they went and chatted to people. went and prayed for people then came back all excited because what? It worked! My challenge to us as individuals is after we've prayed what do we do with it? God's given us an amazing toolkit, hasn't he? All those wonderful spiritual gifts are there and my take on it is we can practice on the body but they're actually for the outside world most of our stuff is involved in this community with our friends and our families when we minister to one another and stuff. I think there's more to go with that I think there's more to go with that I've seen that when I sit down and it's, it's ironic isn't it with my business B&I people every time I go out for food now they are waiting for me to say something they're waiting for me to start to unpack the kingdom. Because I've done it twice before, prompted by God. And it's cut through all the mundane, ridiculous chat about football, live, kids, universities. And starts to talk about real things for people. As I said, the last two times, the restaurant owners even stop what they're doing to sit down and listen in. And now, is that me? No. That's him working through me. That's me being ready and a willing vessel to be there as a delivery point. And it makes life interesting. Because what happens then? The following week at my BNI meeting, they're still talking about it. Not amongst themselves, but with other people in the room. So my group's about 100 or so people. I didn't really make a big thing about being a Christian. I didn't need to. Because once the message gets out, it gets out pretty quick. When I start to share some of my stories, people get interested. And they'll come up and they'll say this, that, and the other. So Leah, the photographer the photographer at the group, absolute cast-iron atheist. Abs- that's, that's how she dec- she's, where's it? Right across her, edge, I'm an atheist. However, about a month or so ago, in the summer holidays, she came back to me afterwards. She goes, you git. And I go, well, what have I done? She goes, I was talking around my table, my family table, about you. About the fact that you don't wing it when you don't know the answers. You're truthful. You give me insight into the things of God that I've never heard before. You don't get irate, you don't get up, do you not know I mean heated up. you don't push it down my throat. There's something. My son said to me, "Can I go to Christian camp in the summer holidays?" Because I want to hear about this God that this bloke is talking about. And he went and he met with Jesus. Now, I know I've just planted the seed into her life. She's now got her son, who she completely dotes on, who is now watering. She will come to know him. That's just one story. There should be a hundred stories in this room. What's your story? Where are you sharing about this wonderful bloke called Jesus. Whether you be at school, or at work, or retired, although you don't have to retire in this community, whatever stage of life you're at, we have something precious. We have something precious. Are we willing to share it? Because I believe the next season for us as a community, is to be sharing a lot more. It's to be sharing a lot more. Not complex biblical passages, but just stories. I love stories. It was the way Jesus communicated. That's how he did it. He did it through stories. Some stories were complicated. Other stories were easy. But it enabled him to relate with the people in front of him. So where is your focus right now? Where's your focus? What things do you give yourself to? One of the things I give myself to, and I'm going to hate saying this this morning, is football. West Ham, yes, we know. Get it off our chests right now. But I, I got challenged again on Wednesday. We had a few people around, dinner, dinner, party and stuff. The football was in the other room, and I still had that urge and desire to keep going from there and back, and from there and back. We were winning 2-0, so I thought, game over. And then they came back. But something in that thing affects me. It affects my emotions. Why? It's because I'm passionate about following a football team. That's what it's about. And that passion, if pointed at the wrong thing, can overtake and can consume. Some of you may be passionate about education. Some of us as parents can push that passion onto our children to say, you will succeed. You will do this and you will do that. You won't go out with your friends. You won't go to youth because you've got studies to do. Seek first the kingdom of God. Isn't that what he said? Suddenly, that whole thing of education, yes. Do I want my children to do well in education? Yes. Yes. But I'd much, much rather them know who my Father in heaven is and what their purpose in his kingdom is going to be. The rest of it can wait. Who'd you invest in? We've talked for long and hard about discipleship for a long, long time. Who are you as an individual investing in? Who'd you hang around with? Who'd you notice? on the way in who today spotted a new face coming through the doors today and thought to yourself must go and speak to them afterwards who do you invest time in there are many 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 lonely people out there many many some people even amongst us I could probably say may get a visit once or twice a week and is that right Yeah. ask God to soften your heart ask God to show you for me I see it, it sounds bizarre I sometimes see people's faces go bright it's just an indication from the Holy Spirit for me to go and speak to somebody sometimes I haven't got a clue what I'm going to speak to them about until I get there but that's come from journeying with him me time this is something I've been pondering and struggling with for a little while. I am fairly busy. My time is fairly limited. Yeah, I run a business. I've got four children. I'm involved in the core team. I lead the worship team. I do B&I. I've got extra meetings outside that as well. And my life, if I look at it all and put it into boxes, I have very few blank boxes in my timeline. I remember not so long ago, probably in fact no more than that, probably about eight nine months ago, I thought to myself, look at my schedule, T, and literally we sat down and we thought we've got nothing on tonight. Thank goodness for that. And then, bing, I get a text on my phone from Neil saying we've got a call to prayer. And my attitude at that moment in time needed some correction from my wife. I was like, this is my time. Somebody else can do it. And T graciously looked over to me and she goes, but what's God saying, Mark? I was like, really? And yet I went with Neil and I ministered to the person and that was life in there. Because I am sold out for him. I've given my life to him. Therefore, that includes my time, believe it or not. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have any free time at all. But at the same time, it's that willingness to lay aside our personal preferences and engage with him. There was an adventure right there that I could have missed out on if I dug my heels in and ignored the text. So where is your focus? In all of these things, when life is great, when you're stumbling around and you haven't got a clue where you're going, when you have that horrible sinking feeling, where is your focus? What's your daily choice going to be? And it is a daily choice. you can opt out of his his way or you can opt in opt out or opt in This talk all came out of me watching. Occasionally, I get to watch a YouTube clip. These guys, these two uh, brothers that you're going to see, are colorblind. And they've developed these new glasses now for about 85% of colorblind people, which which when they put them on, it corrects and allows them to see color for the first time. And this snippet just gives you an indication. So the parents have bought them these glasses and they're putting them on for the first time. I think the thing that what God wants to say to you today, he wants you to put on your spiritual glasses. And he wants you to see the world differently. Because for colorblind people, they see stuff They just see it in a completely different color spectrum to us. So the object looks the same. And yet they don't see it how we would see it. And so this morning, there's an invitation there to say to him, your father in heaven. I want to see with spiritual sightedness. So the things that have looked normal up till now are going to look different. The situations that I've looked at many times will look different. A relationship that has broken down will look different. Spiritual sightedness comes from spending time with Spending time with your Father in heaven. Growing in intimacy with Him. As a human being, we can't get intimacy without spending time. God is moving us into a new season where stuff's going to matter, where situations we see we won't be able to just walk past anymore where we'll want to get involved and there'll be a hunger and a desire in ourselves to get involved into situations. Our slogan as a church is we're a real people, serving a real God and we're making a real difference. When was the last time you said that to yourself? When was the last time you reminded yourself that that's who Lifeline Church is? We're a church that's called to make a difference. A difference in the people we come into contact with. A difference in our schools. A difference in our workplaces. A difference in our sports teams. A difference in whatever we're involved in. Because God doesn't waste resource. So, I want to spend more time with my father who'd like to do that also who wants to fix their eyes on Jesus genuinely fix their eyes on him because that's when fear is eradicated and actually removed that's when the encouragement of him saying come on you can do it I want to choose to see through his eyes rather than the tainted glasses of these world systems And they are tainted. It's manipulated by media. It's manipulated by all sorts of stuff. I want to be moved by compassion. Not anymore for me personally, please. There's something. There's something. I, I, I I can't explain it. It's that welling up. When I went to Soul Survivor with the young people this time, I was working through this softened heart thing, anyway, before John even talked about it. And I said to him, wouldn't it be great if every single one of these young people, all of them, 100% had an encounter. I know I've mentioned this before, I want to remind you. That was my prayer. That was my desire. That was my petition to my Father in heaven. ticked them off during our time there. There was one time it was the hottest day, they would all wanted to go to this slip slide thing and there was about 29 million bags of potatoes to peel and so there were so many potatoes, seriously at least 29 million, definitely eight bags, something like that and uh, I released a couple of the people that were on dinner duty that day I said, no, no, you go and have some fun. Just as a prompt from God. And I sat there for two and a half hours peeling spuds. Had the most amazing time with him. So when they came back and they were like, blimey, look at all those potatoes. And I said, that's potatoes, potatoes. I spent some time with my father in heaven. And he told me in that moment, 100% is what you ask for. is what you're going to get. And Sia went on to Marmite, exposing him. Is Sia here this morning? It was the last meeting. The last half an hour of the last meeting. And he turned around and he winked. And I said, that's 100%. Those are the prayers we should be praying. That comes out of a compassion and a desire. I want to see our young people go way past where we're at. I want them to just go. Then I want them to shout as old codgers coming up behind. Prepare the way. That's what this thing is about. That's why I wanted the young people in this morning, to hear that. Pray to your Father in heaven. Pray about your futures. Yeah? Know what he's called you to do. Who he's called you to be. We're seeing such excellent stuff come out of our young people. From the spoken word, from the dance at the conference. Just from their togetherness. I know Jamie's been encouraged that the seasons are changing. The times are changing. We're seeing them engage in stuff. What's your position? Are you praying for our young people? Are you investing in our young people? Are, they giving, are you giving them the benefit of your experience? Are you sharing your stories? That's what inspired me. I remember sitting down as a five or six-year-old boy in Daventry Methodist Church, which is the most boring church on planet Earth, I'm sure it's got the award. And yet, through people faithfully serving in that, I got introduced to this wonderful guy called Jesus. There was a guy in that church called Roger Hutchins. He passed away many years ago. He will never, ever know the impact he had on my life. Because whenever he came and spoke, he always focused his attention on the children. We didn't feel like an odd one out. We didn't feel like we had to, I mean, not our point, is that bit to disengage. And he always finished with, thanks for listening. And that's always stayed with me. He always came with a story. Whenever he was there, I was like, yeah, it's Roger. And he delivered simple truths about Jesus. What's your story going to be? Who are you telling stories to? Who are you involved with? Do you need a refocus? Would you like to see things as he sees things? But that comes with the warning that John gave and I'm going to second. When you do, Things will never look the same again there was a wonderful little kids program I was going to get the clip but I'm not going to use it now called Joe 90 who remembers Joe 90 mm, a few well for those that don't remember Joe 90 Joe 90 was a super agent he was a little boy and they used to download all his information in this wonderful machine that spun around and he had these glasses when he put these glasses on, he could fly planes, he could do amazing stuff, he could ski, he could scuba dive, he could do everything because the download all came through his glasses. And in finishing today, God said, He's given you a pair of spiritual glasses. And you can choose to keep them in your top pocket there and tap them occasionally and think, oh, they're there for when I need them. Or you can choose to put them on this morning. And see things differently. See the world differently. See things as he sees things. See people as he sees people.